Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Good to see you guys. A uh, couple things I want to share with you. First, I, I just got to give uh, glory to God this morning. A couple of you guys know this. We've been working on the logistics of, um, of this sabbatical coming up, which is going to include this trip to India um, to be able to show the, the grandkids a little bit about their, their heritage and all this kind of stuff. And um, it's something that my dad had always wanted to do, but because of a lot of his health issues, was never able to plan this trip. And so we're really excited to be able to go with my mom. And um, hopefully you guys will get a video in a couple weeks of us in front of the Taj Mahal and some stuff like that um, sharing with you guys. But there was a lot of difficulty in the process. Um, my mom actually lost her passport on the move from Maryland to Maine several years ago. And uh, we had to drive to New Hampshire to go you know, deal with getting her passport done. And then there was issues with the visas and all this stuff. Um, and then our pipes froze yesterday through all the stuff that was going on. Anybody else had pipes freeze? Okay, several of you guys. So you know that's where we're freaking out yesterday. And so we're, Julie Jul and I finally, you know, in the middle of the day, we're like, we just need to stop and we just need to pray. And we're like, Lord, we trust you. We trust you with everything along the way. We, we sent out, you know, some things to family and friends just asking for some prayer. And uh, we woke up this morning with water flowing through the pipes. And we got into church and about... 10 minutes ago, my wife comes running into my office crying, saying she just got an email that all the visas were approved. So we are, we're going to be going to India. So we're very, very excited about that. So praise God. God is good. Prayer works. I just want to point that out. So um, it's been, it's a, a kind of a crazy whirlwind 24 hours, but um, in a couple weeks, Dr. McPherson, who's here today, is going to be, um, is going to be uh, beginning the next series. We're going to wrap up this series next week for the Super Bowl, and then he's going to begin that series, but hopefully we'll have a, a little video clip for you guys from, from India. Um, and then the other thing I want to share with you guys is this Friday, February 10th, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, our teens um, are going to be doing their, their big fundraiser night, and, and as a church, we're going to go and we're going to celebrate um, at the Maine Mariners Hockey and we have free tickets for all of you guys and for your family to go see Maine Mariners hockey. And so if you haven't signed up for that, it's going to be uh, First Light South Portland Church of the Nazarene night at Maine Mariners hockey. We would love for you to be a part. TJ and some of the teens are going to be out in the foyer at the end of service. If you haven't gotten a chance to get your tickets yet, go ahead and do that. If they run out of tickets, it's okay. You can give your name and how many tickets you need if you are certain you're going, and he will make sure that we get those tickets to you. We want everyone who wants to come to be able to be a part of that night this Friday, February 10th. You can give a donation to the teens for NYC if you'd like. And also on the night of the event, um, we'll tell you they're going to be at a certain concession stand uh, near where we're all going to be sitting. And if you go and buy all your hot dogs and soda and snacks at that concession stand, um, a portion of those profits will go to our teens to help them with the Nazarene Youth Conference trip that they're doing this summer. So you can really support our teens super well on Friday. Friday night and have a fun time um, as a church going out together and celebrate. Um, so we hope you'll be a part of that. Now, at our church, what we kind of do is we kind of do these series. And if you've been coming here for a while, many of you have been coming here for a long while, um, you, you kind of know this, at least since I've been here the last, you know, three and a half years or so, we, we kind of take a topic and we'll kind of dive into it, and we'll unpack it for several weeks, and then we'll, we'll start a new topic, and we'll have a new series that we'll go into. And so today, we're in part five of this New Year's series called Playbook. 
And the whole idea behind this series is that we believe that God has invited us to pray this very simple but yet very, very powerful prayer. And here's what it is. God, show me your plan for my life. Show me your will. Show me your playbook for my life. And as I told you guys last week, for me, um, I really began praying this prayer um, in, in high school, early in high school, after I, I first became a Christian, when some pretty significant spiritual mentors in my life, like my, my very first pastor, Reverend Neil McPherson, and a pastor and missionary by the name of Dr. Jerry Porter, began to speak into my life as a very young teenager. And, and they would constantly say something to me. They would say, God has a great plan for you. And guess what? I actually started to believe them. And, and some of us maybe grew up saying that prayer. For, for others of us, maybe that's kind of a new idea, to seek God and to ask him, show me your plan. Show me your will for my life. So for the past few weeks, we, we've been talking about how to hear from God, about surrendering our lives to God, about getting into some spiritual habits so that we can open up God's playbook for our life through things like prayer, the reading our Bible, wise counsel. Now, today I, I want to talk specifically to those of you who maybe have been coming over the last few weeks in this series, but, but maybe you have a little bit of resistance to this whole idea of surrender, this idea of surrendering to God and his playbook for your life. Or maybe for some of you, it's your first time here today, and, and you don't really know anything about the series, and maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure about this whole idea of God, show me your will, show me your plan for my life. In fact, I'm not even sure there is a God. But even if there is, even if there is a God, it's probably too late for me because I have just lived too much of my life living like there isn't a God. And I've screwed up so much in life that if God really did have some grand plan for my life, I certainly missed it a long, long time ago. So if that's you, and now you're joining us here today, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you're just thinking, I've just got too much baggage, I've sinned too much, I've just screwed up too much, to ever now start to pray the prayer, God, show me your plan for my life. First of all, let me just say, I am so glad that you are joining us today, because today I want to talk directly to you. And, and if, if that's you here today, and you're thinking, I'm too old to start praying that prayer, Pastor, because you know, your life is, is maybe past halftime, if we can use another football analogy in this series. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm, I'm in the fourth quarter. Maybe I'm in overtime. I mean, God's given me some extra time. It's amazing I'm even still here. But you're wishing, you're wishing maybe, maybe if I had heard this stuff 30 years ago, 50 years ago, then maybe I'd have a shot. Well, guess what? So glad that you're joining us today because I want to talk to you as well for a few minutes. Now, the reason that you might think it's too late for you could be for many reasons. It, it could be because of your age. It could be because of some sin in your life. It, it could be because of some baggage, some scars, 
some wounds from your past. But whatever the reason might be, what I want to tell you today is that that's actually a fallacy of thinking that all of us suffer from at times. It's sort of a stinking thinking, if you will. Even for those of us who might not think it's too late for us. And here's how this fallacy of thinking, here's how this stinking thinking kind of goes. See, all of us have the tendency at some point in our human experience, in our existence, to think that God somehow thinks about us the way that we think about us. In fact, if I were to ask you this question, we'll throw it up on the screens, but if I were to say to you, what do you think God thinks about you? You know, what, what do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? What's going through his thought process? What's going through the mind of God when he pictures you? You might tell me what you think about you. That's what might come to mind. If you're having a good day, Maybe you're going to church regularly. Uh, maybe you've been reading your Bible more. Maybe you're having a spiritual season of life and you're feeling some spiritual feelings. Maybe you've been getting in the habit of prayer and been doing your, your daily devotions and you're having kind of a good day or a good spiritual season of life. And I were to say, what, what do you think God thinks about you on a scale of one to 10? Well, you might say, hey, I think I might be a seven, maybe an eight. On a good day, you might say, I might be a nine with God right now. But, but if up until coming to church today or, or tuning in online today, God hasn't, has been like the furthest thing from your mind, and you haven't read a Bible or prayed or come to church in months or years or ever, and if I were to say to you, hey, what do you think God thinks of when he thinks about you? On a scale of one to 10, rate the relationship. You might look at yourself in the mirror and you might say, well, I think it's like a one, maybe a two if I'm lucky. And we all do this all the time, like all the time. And here's what we do. We think God takes his cues about us from us. Now, that's crazy. That's a little bit absurd, isn't it? God is flipping God. He doesn't take his cues from us. But, but the way we often relate to God and the way we often respond to God in life, it's as if we think that God takes his cues about us from us. But let me ask you guys a question today. And this is kind of our big overarching question of today's message. Here's the question. What if that's not true? What if the way we think, what if, what if kind of this fallacy of thinking that we believe, what if it's not true? What if instead Jesus was right and we're wrong in our thinking about God? Do you remember in, in the Bible when there were some guys that came to Jesus one day and they said, Jesus, would you please teach us how to pray? Do you guys remember that story in the Bible? They're like, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And oftentimes Jesus would like avoid questions or he would like tell a parable or ask a question back or something like that. But you know, this time he actually answered, which is kind of cool. This is one of the moments where he like straight out answered. And he said, okay, take out a pen and a notebook. Here we go. I'm going to teach you how 
to pray. So somebody help out your pastor this morning. What are the first two words Jesus said as he started to teach them how to pray? He said, our what? Our Father. Let's say that together on the count of three, church. Can we do that? Ready? One, two, three. Our Father. Our Father. What if Jesus was right? What if God looks at you and God looks at me and he sees us with the eyes of a perfect parent and he looks at us as one of his own children who he loves unconditionally. And let me tell you, if you're here today and you're even a reasonably good parent, you're going to be all over this. Raise your hand if you're a parent this morning. All right, keep your hand in the air if when you look at your children, you see all their mistakes, faults, and everything wrong they've done in their life. Right? Right? When you look at your children, do you look at all of their failures and that's what you see? Of course not. If you're a good parent, of course not. When you look at your children, even if they've screwed up, like the biggest screw-ups ever in their life, you think about their future. You think about their potential. You look at your kids, and you think about what they could be. When you look at your kids, if you're a good parent, you see the best. What if God is like that? What if Jesus was right? What if God views you as his child? And so when he thinks about you, he thinks in completely different terms. What if when you pray, God, show me your plan for my life. Show me your will for my life. Show me your playbook for my life. What if God smiles and he thinks, you have no idea. You have no idea what I would like to do with you and through you, my son, my daughter, if you will simply put down your defenses and partner with me. And every time you want to look over your shoulder and you want to start focusing back on all your past mistakes and baggage and sin and scars, what if God wants to turn your head and point it forward and wants to say, move forward? What if things like age doesn't matter to God, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are? What if, what if uh, your, your scars and your wounds and your baggage doesn't matter to God? What if God doesn't take his cues about you from you? See, for some of us, that would be a game-changing idea. That would change everything. And it's very difficult for us to get our mind and heart, to wrap our mind and heart around that way of thinking. But what if you've been wrong about God? So today, I want to take you through an Old Testament story that I think really unpacks this truth in just a powerful, powerful way. And I think it explains it better than any other place in Scripture that, that I know of. And the story is found in 1 Samuel 16. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app on your smartphone and you want to go ahead and turn there, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 16 and you can follow along. We'll also put the verses up on the screen as always, okay? We're going to start in, in verse 6. But in this story, we're going to look at how King David became the king of Israel. And this story happened to him when he was still 
a child. And we, we kind of touched on this story a little bit back in December uh, when we did our series on the Christmas tree. But this is the beginning of the King David story. And see, at the time, Saul is the very first king of Israel. But Saul's a little bit nuts. We kind of call him Psycho Saul. King Saul has a problem. Psycho Saul, instead of saying, God, show me your plan for my life, show me your will for my life, show me your playbook for my life, King Saul keeps looking around at the people around him, and he tries to get his cues from them. He's worried about popular opinion instead of God. And so he looks at the people around him and he says, what do you guys want me to do? Tell me how great I am. And God's going, no, 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 no. I, I, I want you to do my will, Saul. I don't want you to be focused on the will of the people. But King Saul just ignores God and he just chases after personal glory and the approval of people. And he keeps following the will of people. And so God finally decides that Israel is going to need a better king for its second king. And so God taps on the shoulder a guy by the name of Samuel, who we talked a little bit about last week. Samuel was a prophet who personally connected with God from a very young age. As a child, he was listening to the voice of God and saying, God, what is your will for my life? And God says to this prophet Samuel, he says, it is time for us to pick a different king for Israel, and it's going to be a son from the house of a man named Jesse. And so God sends the prophet Samuel to this guy Jesse's house, and he says, Samuel, when you get there, when you get to Jesse's house, I'm going to reveal to you which one of Jesse's sons is going to be the future king of Israel. And so God sends the prophet Samuel down to where Jesse lives, and he shows up, and he somehow communicates to Jesse, Jesse, this is going to be a big, big day for you and your family. I mean, it's bigger than the Super Bowl. I'm about to tell you that you are going to become the father of the future king of Israel. But Jesse, the current king of Israel, King Saul, is probably not going to like that. So I wouldn't share this information with too many people. But God wants you to know that eventually one of your sons is going to become the next king. So Jesse, go get all your sons out here because now we're going to figure out which one of these lucky boys is going to be king. And if you can imagine, Jesse's mind is probably blown away, and he calls all of his boys to come out. He tells them what's going on. And if this was like a Disney film, the soundtrack from The Lion King is playing in their mind. I just can't wait to be king. Like, that's what's playing in their mind right now. As they all stand there waiting in Jesse's living room to find out which one is going to be the king. And it's at this point that we're going to jump into the story, 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. And here's what it says in Scripture. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. In other words, Samuel looks at the oldest son, and he thinks to himself, Oh, this is going to be easy. This is going to be so easy. This mission is no problem. Everybody take a seat. I mean, look at this guy. 
He looks like a king. I mean, Prince William and Prince Harry have nothing on this guy. Just get him a Kate or a Meghan Markle, and we're good to go. We create our own Bridgerton series with this hunky guy. Look at him. He's a king if I ever saw one. This is so simple, God. Mission accomplished. But the story continues. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Not rejected him like I don't love him, I don't like him. Rejected him like he's not the guy that I've chosen as the next king of Israel. And so Samuel is now scratching his head. He's thinking, but God, he really looks like a king. God's like, yeah, but Samuel, I don't go about this thing the way that you would. See, Samuel, I don't see people the way that you see people. I don't judge people the way that you and other people judge people. And then here's the big statement from God, and please, 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 please this morning, if you get one thing this morning, don't miss this incredible truth from Scripture. Look at this. Check it out. Verse 7. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. Or literally, God does not see as man sees. God does not see us the way that we see us. Can you guys just, just say this with me? I'm going to put it up on the screens. But let's just say this together, okay, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. God does not see me as I see me. Let's say that one more time with a little more enthusiasm. One, two, three. God does not see me as I see me. Yeah. God doesn't take his cues about you from you. Now, now the interesting thing is this. When you take that idea and you superimpose it over the entirety of Scripture, a lot of things in the Bible that are really confusing start to make a lot more sense. So if you, if you haven't read the Bible before, if you haven't been reading the Bible much in your life lately, maybe this will inspire you to start reading your Bible a little bit more. Because when you read stories throughout Scripture, you will discover that this spiritual truth is absolutely true. God does not see as man sees. When we read the Bible, you're going to see that God decided that he wanted to start a nation. So he picks a man who was way too old to have children, who was married to a woman who was way too old to have children, and he says, okay, even though you're about 100 years old, I'm going to pick you two guys to change the world. And Abraham's like, uh, okay, God. I don't know if you're paying attention, but I'm part of the AARP. I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm really old. And my wife, she still looks good. I almost got in trouble there. Um, but we can't have kids. Like, it's literally impossible. And God says, that's perfect, Abraham, because I don't see you the way you see you. And a couple that was way too old to have children, that should have been like planning for a funeral, has a son named Isaac, who in a few generations becomes the nation of Israel. 
But guess what, church? You and I would have never chosen Abraham and Sarah. Heck, Abraham and Sarah would have never chosen Abraham and Sarah. But God is not like us. Another famous guy, Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Remember the big moment, Charlton Heston movie? Moses goes to Pharaoh, and what does he say? Let my people go, right? What you might not know about Moses is that when God first said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to deliver my people from Pharaoh, Moses said, but, 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 but who, me? Like, he could barely talk, in other words, God chose a guy with a speech impediment who was terrible at public speaking, who had fear of getting in front of people, and he picked him to speak to the most powerful man on earth. And Moses tried to get out of it like any way he could. He was like, God, not sure if you know this, not very good in front of people. And God's like, Moses, I don't see you the way that you see you. I chose you because you can't speak. They're going to say he can barely get a sentence out and he's still faced off against the most powerful man on earth. God must be with him. God says, Moses, you're my kid. And I think you're perfect just the way you are because I don't see as man sees. See, with God, age isn't an issue. Talent isn't even an issue. Your past isn't an issue. Fast forward through time, and maybe you heard about this guy we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul. Paul, who was called Saul, had a mission in life to stamp out the early Christian church, this Jewish cult called the Way, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And these were the early followers of the Way of Jesus and so he had Christians arrested and tortured, even put to death. And God looked at him and said, perfect. Let's use him to plant churches around the world. Let's pick him, a serial killer, and have him write half the New Testament in the Bible. Nobody on earth would have chosen Paul. He was a Christian killer. And God said, he's perfect. I'm going to leverage all of his past sin for my glory. God does not see you the way that you see you. And God doesn't see your potential as you see your potential. And the very thing that you might see as the biggest obstacle that's stopping you from connecting with God may be the thing that God chooses to leverage and use for his glory. So the next time somebody judges you because they're a Christian and they look down on you, you just say, hey, bring me your Bible. You show me one good person in there other than Jesus. Because literally every Bible hero is either addicted to something or running around with somebody or struggling with some area of life that made them completely unqualified to do anything great for God. It's amazing. The whole Bible is full of imperfect, messed up, jacked up people. And God says, you know what? Just tell me that you'll seek me 
and you'll ask me, what is your plan for my life? What is your will for my life? And I will put my arm on your shoulder and I'll show you my playbook and we'll move forward together. And you'll be amazed at what I'm able to do through you. Because I don't see you the way you see you. I don't see you the way the world sees you. What if that's true about God? God goes on speaking to Samuel in verse 7, and he says this, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what, church? The heart. Well, of course people look at the outward appearance, right? He's tall. She's cute. He's rich. She's talented. Look at, look at his teeth. Look at her hair. I wish I could look like that in a bathing suit. People look at the outward appearance, but check this out. The Lord looks at the heart. Do you know what that means? It means what you did yesterday is a far less concern to God than where your heart is aligned today. That's what it means. And let me tell you why. And this is like a huge biblical theme. In fact, if you start reading your Bible, you're going to find this everywhere, that God in this present age redeems and restores. He is the great redeemer and restorer. Something bad happens or falls apart, God redeems and God restores. I mean, every time we have a baptism here, it's a story of redemption and restoration. Things break, sin destroys, sin causes problems, but when God is invited into somebody's life, God redeems and God restores. And that's why what you did yesterday, that messed up thing, that created a chapter in your life that you wish you could jump into a time machine and go back in time and undo, God says, well, let's talk about today. Let's talk about where your heart is today. Because if you'll start to seek me today, if you will start to seek my will for your life, if you'll open up your heart to what I have for you and the future and the plans that I have for you, then what you did yesterday is a far less concern to me than where your heart is today and the future that I have planned for you. Man looks at the outward appearance, the outward behavior, but God looks at the heart. And this is why for some of you, the very thing that you think is the greatest obstacle keeping you from God answering a prayer, show me your will for my life, show me your plan for my life, it is the thing that God will probably use in the most significant of ways in your life. And I could tell you story after story after story after story of teenagers and men and women whom I've met who've said, okay, God, if you think that there's any kind of hope for me, I'm all in. God, if you can truly redeem and you can restore and you can move me past my past, then I'm in. I'm in on your plan. And God continually uses those kinds of people in the most remarkable ways. And he leverages broken marriages. He leverages the experiences of prodigal kids. He leverages people who are trapped in addiction. He leverages people who are wounded by abuse. He leverages all of it. God leverages all of those things 
that look like overwhelming obstacles in life, and he uses them in powerful ways to impact the church and their community and people around them. Why? Because God doesn't see you the way that you see you. We look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. David's story winds up this way, picking up in verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And at this point, Samuel was like, you got any daughters? Any pets? I mean, I don't get it. <laughs> I know for sure God told me to come to this house and anoint one of your boys as the next king. And all seven sons are a no. Maybe I missed something. Maybe we should have him walk back out again. Maybe I was distracted. Verse 11. So then he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse, uh, you're getting a little bit old. Is it possible you forgot that you have another son? Continuing in verse 11. And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, actually, there is still the youngest. But he's tending the sheep. And at this point, all the brothers are going, not him. Mm -mm. No, it's not him. Jesse's even going, Samuel, we didn't even invite him to the party because we're sure it's not him. It's David. He's the runt of the litter. He's out chilling with the stinky sheep. But remember, church, God does not see as man sees. Verse 11 continues. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And now it gets a little bit awkward in Jesse's living room because they're all standing, waiting for someone to go and fetch little Daniel from the field. And Jesse's old. So like two of his sons are holding him up by his elbows because the prophet said nobody can sit. Verse 12. So he sent and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health. He had a fine appearance, handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came on David in power. And everyone was confused in Jesse's living room. Because everyone in there was like us. And they thought God took his cues from us about us. But on that day, Samuel and Jesse and all the brothers, they learned that God views us differently than we view ourselves. And the issue is not your past, and it's not your talent, and it's not how old you are, and it's not your sins, and it's not all the stuff you've done. The issue is the condition of your heart and the willingness of your heart to say, as Abraham and Sarah did, 
as Moses finally did, as Paul did, as David did, as Peter and Gideon and Mary and all the great heroes of faith who finally said, God, I want to know your plan, your will, your playbook for my life. Your heavenly father doesn't see you the way that you see you. He sees you the way a perfect heavenly father sees their child, full of amazing, amazing potential. And let me tell you how I know that. Because 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world, and that would include you, that he thought you were worthy to send his son into the world to willingly die for you on a cross, to forgive you, and to pay for your sins. So all your sins, all your screw-ups in life that you always want to throw up in front of God, that Satan always brings into your mind to remind you of how unworthy you are, all your big excuses on why you can't go all in and do something great for God, in the moment that Christ died on the cross for your sins, in that moment, your sin became far less a consequence and issue to God than the current condition of your heart. And the moment you say, God, I'm ready. God, I love you. God says, I've loved you since before you were born, and I'm ready to. And all that stuff in your past, I'm sorry you had to go through it, but I'm going to leverage it. I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to restore you because I love you and I have great plans for your life. But, but, you have free will and you have a choice to invite him in, to step into the story that he has for you. So, why not invite him into your life? Why not pray every single day, God, show me your plan for my life. Show me your will for my life. Show me your playbook for my life. Show me your will for my relationships. Show me your will for my business. Show me your will for how I raise my kids. Show me your will for how I treat my parents. Show me your will for how I get involved in the lives of my grandkids and great-grandkids. Show me your will for how I can invest in my church. Show me your will for my future. It's an awesome prayer. It's a life-changing prayer, church. Can you imagine what would happen through you and through us as a church in this community and in our world if all of us began to daily pray this prayer as part of our routine? God, show me your plan for my life. I'm here. I'm willing. I love you. I want to follow you. So we're going to close service today a little different with prayer through a song. And, and the first verse of this song says this. It says this. It says, take my life. I lay it down. 
at the cross where I am found. And this is important because the cross is that pivotal. It's where everything that you thought was an obstacle no longer looks and serves as an obstacle. And so as the worship team leads us uh, in this song, my, my heart's desire for us is that all that stuff that maybe we think is a barrier, all that stuff that maybe we think is an obstacle to knowing God and doing his will, I'm too old, I don't have enough experience, I did this in my past, this happened to me, my ex, whatever it may be, my hope and prayer is that you'd be willing to release it today. These altars are gonna be open. Just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to stand and as this song plays, maybe as your act of prayer, God's gonna call you to come forward and to lay some things at his feet today and say, God, show me your plan for my life. Show me your will. Show me your playbook for me. God, I'm all in. Because your heavenly father does not see you the way that you see you. Your heavenly father has an incredible plan for your life. And you've been invited into it. And if you've missed it the first 30 years, or the first 50 years, or even the first 90 years, there is no reason to miss it anymore. If you'll just simply begin to pray, God, show me your will. Show me your plan. Show me your playbook for my life. Can we stand together, church? Let's make this song our prayer today. Can we dim down the lights a little bit too as we make this song our prayer? Breath 
that I take be ever only for you, oh God. Oh, here I stand, arms open wide. Oh, I am yours and you are mine. Oh, here I stand, arms open God is good, and all the time. Uh, just a quick um, reminder, announcement, during the season of Lent, uh, as a church, we're going through this book. It's 40 Days Through the Bible. Uh, if you would like a copy of that, uh, there's a sign-up sheet uh, out there in the foyer. Uh, the, the price of the book is around $10 if you want to make a contribution to that, or if you want to just pick it up on Amazon yourself, you can do that, do that as well. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you today with arms open wide. Lord, the, the prayer of our heart is that you would have your, your will, your way with our lives. Lord, we submit to you. We will go where you send us. We will do what you tell us. We will say what you speak to us, we are yours. And Lord, I pray for each person here, each family represented here, Lord, all the, the cares, concerns, the burdens, the joys, the praises, everything, Lord God, we lay at your feet. We pray a blessing upon them and their homes, that your presence and your spirit would be made evident each and every day. Pray this in your name, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Go on God's peace today. Oh, here I stand, arms open wide. 
Your way.